Greetings to all God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're now in Lesson 28. Last time we were uh, discussing uh, the beginning of the story of Abraham and the identity of the true church. We're in a series now. It's going to be uh, quite a while until we finish it, but we want to go through it very thoroughly since we're dealing with thousands of years of deception, in specific the past 2,000 years, and it's not very easy to clear the mind once it has been cluttered. So we're going to go uh, on a journey, as I mentioned earlier, for 7,000 years into the mind of God from his own point of view, from his own words and feelings about this subject of the identity of his true church, how it began, how it's going to end. We're talking about, in essence, the story of eternity. And so last time we ended up with Abraham departing from uh, the land of Haran after his father died when he was 205. And we see here, in essence, a separation of two churches. Uh, the false church, that was the territory all around where Abraham lived, his family uh, herself uh, was a righteous family. At least there was an awful lot of knowledge and understanding there, and uh, now they were totally pure from uh, the Babylon that they came out of. But at least they had much knowledge and understanding, and God did not want them, for reasons known to him, to come with Abraham into this new new phase, new project, you might say, that is going to go on for eternity. And so he was making a separation there of these two ways of life. And so we, we find Abraham moving into the land of Canaan. And he was in the land of Canaan. Later on, he had his children. At this point, we are uh, basically having just an overview, so we're not going to go into detail uh, beyond that, but an overview, and after that we'll come back and begin from the beginning. And so... Later on, uh, Abraham has a son, the son of promise, Isaac, from that comes Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is the one that continues the line that God is dealing with, because remember, God was going to start a new thing here with Abraham and his descendants, the physical descendants, and then later on the spiritual descendants. And so Israel, the people of God, at this point, a family of Jacob, uh, 70 plus, now, that is uh, 70 in terms of the, the, the sons and, and uh, wives uh, and children. And then uh, there are also many others that came with them. Many relatives and uh, servants. It was a pretty big group, you know, by the time they came to Egypt. And Israel is taken to Egypt, and this is where Israel stays uh, for a while. That was according to the plan of God, because God needs to purify his nation and his people and bring them out of that land. And remember, Father Abraham was totally righteous before God. Isaac was righteous before God. Jacob was righteous before God after he learned his lessons. And Joseph was. But the rest of the family, uh, they still had to learn an awful lot of lessons. And so Egypt was necessary. Uh, later on, as we go through the prophets, we'll find out exactly why they ended up in slavery. In other words... Though God brought his people out of confusion, he's taking them back into confusion because of a need to purify them, as he does often, and he will continue to do until the end of time. And so Egypt became not only a place of slavery, but also a place of purification and drawing people together to bring them back to their God, because they forgot the purpose of bringing Abraham out of, uh, out of Babylon, and they themselves went back in many ways into that confusion. And so by the time we see Jacob going back to Egypt, uh, that is going to Egypt, 
we see that his children are involved at least to a degree with idolatry, because he had to tell them to remove all the foreign gods from their meads and, the, and take the earrings of their ears and all those things that they use for uh, idol worship. So, unfortunately, there was a mixture there of truth and error in his family. And uh, they're taken back to, to uh, again to the land of Canaan. God comes down himself and delivers them. And he brings them back to the land of Canaan. And the story of Israel continues from that point on. They're not any more like Father Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Unfortunately, the story of Israel is a story of little obedience and mostly rebellion. That is going back to Babylon. When God constantly tells them, come out of Babylon, and he brings righteous Abraham, and he brings his family for out of Babylon into Haran, and Abraham in particular into the land of Canaan, and Abraham is obedient to the laws of God. He is full aware of them, knowledgeable of them. He grew up with them in his own home, with his own father, with much knowledge and understanding from those who preceded him. And his children are not following wholeheartedly in the footsteps of Abraham. And yet God has a, a specific purpose for this line of Abraham. A specific purpose not only in terms of... Uh, all the children of Abraham, uh, ultimately, but specifically the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Ishmael, not Esau, not all the others, but a specific one for this family that he had chosen for himself and will always be his own family until the end of time for a good purpose. And so they constantly rebel against God that he finally has, after many centuries in the land, he had to finally get rid of them. You read the story in detail in uh, in Second Kings, chapter 17. That's a very good chapter to read. How Israel and Judah became so rebellious and corrupt and went back wholeheartedly into Babylon, the religions of Babylon, be it Canaanites, be it Egyptian, be it whatever it may be, all of them were product of Babylon. And uh, God needed to purify them. And so again, he t- took them into Babylon. If they're not willing to come out of Babylon, he's going to take them into Babylon and punish them with the plagues of Babylon. And this is where, where we find the story there. Uh, let's read this chapter. I think it's a very, very important chapter because it gives you a ba- background of the whole history of the dealing of uh, God and his children. And yet, also on the other hand, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their idolatry, in spite of their love affair with Babylon, uh, though he tells them to constantly come out of it, yet the mercy of God and the grace of God is shown throughout the whole history of the nation. Uh, that punishment is not the end of the road, yet some people think it is. Even Israel at times thinks that it is. And so we read here a story that we should all read, and very importantly, because it's extremely important to the subject that we are dealing with, the true identity of the Church of God. And the Church of God does not mean Abraham was perfect, yes, walked in righteousness before God, and many others, but doesn't mean that everybody else did. God uh, had a sort of a mixture of truth and error within his own people, and yet he never, never forsook them. And so it's important to realize how far they went, and yet how far God was willing to go to bring them to himself to fulfill his purpose that began with Father Abraham. He was willing to do all, to do everything, including give his own life for that purpose, which he did. That is, in the person of the one that became his son. And so in chapter 17 of Second Kings, let's read the whole story here, because we can see how far people go 
And what is it that God tells us to come out of all, out of? And what is it that the people of Israel who thought in their own mind that they were doing right, who thought in their own mind that they are righteous, they did not think, well, we are evil people, but we're seeing it, as I said, from the point of view of God, how he saw things, both good and bad, and what he was going to do with Israel, both good and bad. And people sometimes forget that. They consider only one side and not the other. And therefore, that's the reason why many books, thousands of books, are written about church history, and yet they're all based on a false premise. They're not based on the mind of God. They're not in full understanding of the true church of God as God sees it, not as man sees it. And so in chapter 17, second Kings, we read, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of all the Lord, like all the kings of Israel, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vessel, in other words, was subject to him, and paid him tribute money. But that was not the end of the story. Verse 4, And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to Saul. That's the name of the king, Saul. So what? King of Egypt. And uh, brought no tribute to the king of Assyria. And he had done as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Now, the king of Assyria went throughout all the land who went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halan, that is in Hala, and by Havor, the towns that were in Assyria, the river of Gosan, and in the cities of the Medes. These were all territories of the Assyrian Empire. Up to now, you're reading it from the, let's say, political point of view. Things that happen, you know, history, uh, historic events. But it's always important to see it from God's point of view. So now we're going to begin to read it from God's point of view. Verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods. They went back to Babylon, in other words and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. You see, from his point of view, from their point of view, they thought, I don't see anything wrong with that, and that's the way we all think to this very moment. That's why we do things that we think are right, and yet God says they're not right. You are in Babylon. You think that you came out of Babylon, and therefore to this day he says, come out of Babylon. You see, there is no need to tell people, come out of Babylon, if they are not in it. And so God makes that statement, we should examine ourselves, and ask ourselves, why is it that he still tells us to this very day, this very moment, and into the future, come out of Babylon, that you will not be partakers of her plagues? And the children of Israel did not see it that way, and that's why they were taken to captivity. In verse 9, And also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. In other words, they thought, well, you know, we're glorifying God, we're offering all these sacrifices, uh, we must be doing right. That's the way they saw things, and that's the way people see things. Verse 10, 
They set up for themselves sacred pillars, not for God, but for themselves. They thought it was for God. Sacred pillars and wooden images, or uh, in you know, plain terminology, phallic uh, symbols. Uh, in other words, sexual organs that they used to worship. That was uh, part of the ancient uh, religion. Because to them, they, they were worshipping the God of creation, the God who, uh, who creates. And that, that's why they use that. Uh, that's how the Babylonian system is all about, you know, taking truth and perverting it. And so they did it on every, on every high hill and under every green tree. Now, from their point of view, they thought, we are so righteous people. We're very religious people. That's how they thought about it. But that's not how God saw it. Verse 11. There they burned incense in all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. But they did not realize that this is what they were doing. They were not doing it intentionally to provoke God. In their own mind, they thought they were righteous, they were religious, they were devout. And that's how men think. And that's what God tells us. Still, come out of Babylon. You think you're doing well, but you're provoking me to anger by your ideas, your theology, your concepts. Verse 12. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, not your values, not your principles, not your ethics, according to all the law which I, that is, according to all the Torah, which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets, beginning from Moses. As a matter of fact, Abraham is the first one that taught them the laws of God. And then as time went by, it was more codified and there was more added to it. Verse 14, Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God, and to this very day they are the same. You come and tell them the truth, and you tell ourselves the truth, and we all think that we know the truth, so nobody's going to teach me anything new. And that's the way they thought about it. And so God says, you're stiff-necked. When I speak to you, you don't hear, you don't listen. You've got your own ideas, and that's it. Nobody can change your mind. Verse 15, And they rejected his statutes, his statutes, and they had their own statutes, and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. And uh, remember this word testimony, it's very important to this concept of the church, which he had testified against them, and they followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, that they should not do like them. That's the reason why God brought the whole family of Abraham and his father and all the others out of Babylon. And then only Abraham later on, whom he saw the only one in his own eyes, uh, fit for that plan that he had for him, he brought him to the land of Canaan. And so his own descendants are now going back to where they came from. Might as well stay in Babylon. Verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image, and two cows made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. Just like today, people into astrology, people into, you know, uh, what's your sign? Pisces and Capricorn and uh, Scorpion and all that. They're still into astrology, into the hosts of heaven, and they don't realize that what they're doing is an abomination in the sight of God. And you cannot convince them. Even many religious people are into it. And so it says they worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, 
And you see it in every corner in uh, today's uh, society. You know, reading poems, reading cards, reading tarots. And uh, people go to all those uh, uh, soothsayers and uh, into witchcraft. And uh, it's so prevalent in the society, in astrology. And uh, uh, people are so much engaged in it that you wonder, you know, where all those stores are. How can they do business? I never see a person there. And it is a fact. There are so many stores all around the world, and people go to them, and presidents go to them. And they think it's great. And this is what God says about his own people. This is Babylonish. It's not truth. It's, of not, it's not of God. It's of the wrong church, of the fallen church. It's of the wrong God. And so this is what the people of Israel have done in the past. They're still doing it to this very day in many ways. So he said, And they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. They totally were given to it. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Actually, when you study the subject there, when he said there was none left, it's a generic statement because God allowed the poor among them to remain behind in the land of Samaria, that is in the northern kingdom. And uh, many of them, probably thousands, that remained behind joined finally the house of Judah. And so you find in the house of Judah many Israelites and that's why you find uh, quite a few variations in the Jewish people. Uh, because now all the tribes of Israel are in essence represented in them, at least a small part of them, while the majority were taken away into captivity. Verse 19, Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, you know, lest they think that they are righteous. They too were not right before God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. The Jews too, who retained the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood, and a good measure of knowledge and understanding of God, along with it, they said, well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. And so they began taking on uh, all kind of teachings and doctrines and uh, ideas from uh, their own brothers and sisters, the children of Israel. And they thought, well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. And that's how human people, human beings think to this very day. People that came out of uh, different religions into the knowledge of the truth are going back to it, and they don't see anything wrong with it. Because, you know, the thing where we are all uh, mainstream, whatever. Verse 20. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. Now, some people have taken this statement totally out of context. No knowledge, no background, no understanding, and say, aha! Later on, especially, when they, another false church did arise that called itself Christianity, and say, you see, it says in your own word. And so they use this one in other statements to say, God rejected you, and now you've chosen us. And this is, uh, was the beginning, in essence, of the re replacement theology, where God rejected Israel, his church, and not chosen the Gentile church to be his church, or another church, another entity. Well, that's misunderstanding because of no background, no understanding, proper understanding of the, of the word of God. That's why you got to have the whole story, not just a small part of it. So, verse 20. God rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. And that's a general statement in essence. And mind you, when you read the, the book of uh, Kings and Chronicles, you're in essence reading a lot of information that finally was canonized by Ezra. And that was done in the day of Ezra 2,500 years ago. So he's adding a lot of uh, information here uh, from the point of view of the time. And yet... Ezra himself and Nehemiah and all the children of the captivity that were brought back to Israel. So they knew God did not really, you know, totally rejected his people. But generally speaking, that was the, the feeling 
uh, fill of God. You know, we just sick and tired of them. We threw them out of the land. But that's not the end of the story. And the ignorant people, those uh, who call themselves of the true church, who had a mixture of knowledge of truth and of error, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They mix the whole thing together and they say, Aha, you see, God rejected you. You can see it in your own word. Partly yes. And verse 21, For he tore Israel from the house of David, See, he's the one that was behind it. And they made Jeroboam the son of King Nebat, uh, that is the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. That's how far they went. And he says, that's the way you want to go? You want to go back to Babylon? Go all the way there. Just get out of my sight. Because he brought Abraham to worship him in the land, not to have descendants that would go back to Babylon in their heart. And therefore he removed them, just like he brought them into his sight, into his land, so he threw them out of the land when they were disobedient. But that's not the end of the story. You see, all that is a part of the true church of God. The story. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have to take the whole thing together before you really understand what the, what the church of God is all about. And for the children of Israel, uh, so verse 22, for the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did, they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. And this is what Ezra is writing. Again, this is what Ezra is saying as he canonizes the, the Hebrew Scriptures and he puts final touches on certain points in, uh, of history and ties together loose ends. And so, at that time, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, everybody knew where Israel was and they knew exactly why they were there. And so that's what Ezra is writing. That they still insisted on continuing to walk in other ways and still retain a good measure of knowledge and understanding of the God of their fathers even at that time, even into captivity for many, many centuries. And as a matter of fact, even to this very day, to a large degree, there is an awful lot of knowledge and understanding among the children of Israel who do not even know who they are, and they still retain good measure of knowledge and understanding of the knowledge of God. That's why I can read this, this uh, words in a book that is an English, English translation of the Bible. By the way, I'm reading from, uh, I'll be using throughout all this teaching of the law, the New King James Version. That's called the New King James Version. And uh, if you have, uh, that's by Thomas Nelson Publishers. And if you have uh, something else, uh, maybe it might help you just for the sake of the flow of the story. It's not always totally correct, obviously. But uh, at least for the flow of the story, make it easier. Uh, we can all read that or whatever other version you want to read. But anyway, uh, in verse uh, 24, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, and that's a population transfer that was pretty common at the time. And uh, the purpose of that was to, to uh, forestall any rebellion, any nationalism, when he took a nation out of their own land, out of their own culture and environment and uh, everything they knew and understood and comprehended and loved, and put them in another land and bring other people into their land, he sort of destroy and burn all the bridges behind them. And that keeps them in, in, uh, at bay from rebelling and having nationalism. And this is what he did. 
Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. In other words, God is saying, you hate my laws and commandments, I'm going to take you to Babylon, and I'm going to bring Babylonians into your land. So he had a population transfer, but in the process, obviously, also there is a religion of Babylon and its purity, so to speak, quote-unquote, that is being brought back into the land of Israel, the land of God. And so you have an introduction of Babylon, physically speaking, and people and religions into his own land. And that's a very ironic twist here. And that's why, you know, the Church of God always uh, had mixture of truth and error in it, because of all these influences back and forth. Uh, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Abahamat, from the Sepharvaim, and uh, placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And that's what the Samaritans uh, are all about. Basically, introduction of Babylon, physical and spiritual, religion, culture, and all that, into the land of God. And that was going to haunt the people of God, and to this very day, was suffering from it. In verse 25, And it was so, at the beginning of their dwelling there, speaking about the Samaritans, the Babylonians, and the false religion, the mystery of iniquity, as was called later on, that they did not fear the Lord, therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them, of the Babylonians. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed, that is, we Babylonians, from different places, and placed in these cities of Samaria, do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Because that was their concept. You have to know uh, what's the God of this land or that land like, and uh, uh, keep him appeased and uh, get him off our back. And that was their concept of religion. It's not a true personal relationship with God. Just how to keep that God out of our back and get good graces in all that God. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. At least something they did understand, that when those things happen, there is something more to it than just lion explosion population, you know, population of explosion of lions. Uh, somebody uh, who is in charge of the land, that is the deity, is angry. So, they had that much understanding. People today, when they see calamities of all sorts, just think, well, Mother Nature is angry. At least those pagans, the Babylonians, had little sense in their head to understand. There is somebody higher than that. A real being that causes those things. In verse 27, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach than the rituals of the God of the land. It's very interesting. He's not going to take one of the priests of Judah, who knew the religion of Judah, because the king of Assyria knew nothing about the God of Israel. So he couldn't care less about the purity of religion or truth. And so he says, well, let's get one of the priests of Israel. And what kind of priests Israel had? Priests of Baal. Or priests that were renegade, that departed from God. That is, some of them that remained behind. In other words, mixture of truth and error. So he's going to get sent and somebody's going to give them some knowledge and understanding of the God of Israel, but at the same time also misconceptions. Verse 28, Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, he knew at least that was the house of God, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Not necessarily how they should obey God and have a relationship with him, just how to get him off your back. That was a concept. Verse 29, However, 
every nation of this Babylonian people continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. Now you can understand why the Jews down the road developed such a contempt for these people and call them dogs. It's because of this uh, total perversion. And they had an awful lot of problems with these Babylonians and Samaritans. And their religion affected Judah and affected later on the teachings of Jesus Christ, of the disciples of Christ, and created uh, a mixture of truth and error, even out of the magnification of the Torah that Christ brought to his own people, and the disciples did likewise. And so to this very day, this influence of Babylon that was entrenched in the heart of Israel, of the nation, of the culture, of the city, of the religion, and it, it is affecting all the people of Israel to this very day. The Babylonish uh, religion is alive and well in the midst of the people of, of God to this very day. Now, those who have much knowledge and understanding, those who don't have as much, those who have the spirit, those who don't, all of us are being affected by it to one degree or the other. Therefore, God tells us, come out of Babylon. And as Paul said, he who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Because many people think that we're doing great. And yet God says, no, you're still part of Babylon, to a degree. Come out of it, totally. Verse 31, And the Abites made Nephaz and Tartak, and the Sfardeites, speaking about the different nations, burned their children to fire to Adramelech and Adramelech, the gods of Sfardeim, and so forth, or Anamelech. Verse 32, So they feared the Lord, that is the Babylonians, and they did what, you know, didn't know what to do to get him off of their back, so to speak, which is not a true religion. God is not pleased with that. And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines on the high places. And you see, that goes on to this very day in different forms. And that's what the Babylonian religion is all about, the mystery religion. That's why God tells us to come out of it. Because we're infected by it and without, you know, without even realizing it, even if it is to a small degree. And these people fear God. You know a lot of people around you that fear God and obey God to a degree, and yet they do their own thing. And they'll invite you, you know, sometimes uh, with their goodness and hospitality and all that to have uh, an Easter ham with them. And ask God uh, blessing for you. And uh, God calls it an abomination. And uh, this is just an example of what these people were doing. And what the people of God were doing also, now and then. Verse 33, they fear the Lord, yet serve their own gods. And so you find it to this very day in the community of Israel, that is the tribes of Israel, that do not know who they are, and the community of, Ju of Judah. Well, they think that they worship God, and they too have an awful lot of Babylonian teachings in their, teach in their law, in their, uh, that is in their law, in, in their own uh, invention of the law, not the one that God gave them. And in their own culture, and their own fables, and their own ideology. That's why they also believe many of the, of the demonic doctrines like heaven and hell, and many other things like that. And the thing that's from God, that's from the Bible. And they believe in it. And they live their life to this kind of lies, and they are uh, afraid of these kind of things to this very day. That's a part of Babylon. God says to all of his people, all the family of Israel, come out of Babylon. You have too much in it, and into it. Verse 34. To this day they continue practicing, Ezra is writing that, the former rituals 
They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances, all the law and commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, that is the true church of God, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And Israel did anything but that. And Judah did a little bit of that and a little bit of the other thing. And the statutes and the ordinances, the law and the commandments, this is the terminology God always used for his law, and this is another terminology you all very well aware of. Uh, that uh, the other church is using, and uh, how many of us are using the same terminology? And the statutes and ordinances and the law, verse 37, and the commandments, which he wrote for you. This is what he wrote. Uh, you shall be careful to observe forever. Not just for a period of time. Not just until Christ comes. Forever. You shall not fear other gods. And people are fearing other gods to this very day. Verse 38. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of your enemies. It's not your armed forces that are going to do it for you. It's not your nuclear umbrella, whatever it may be, or technology. It's God who does it. Verse 40. However, they did not obey, speaking about all of Israel. And to this very day, God feels that way about his own people. And there is only a very small core of them that are faithful and obedient, but the majority who think they are, they are not. And he will deliver you from the hand of all of your enemies. And then verse 40, however, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. Because they thought, that's right, that's why they did not because they thought that was wrong. People lean to their own understanding. People think, well, you know, it's up to me to interpret the Bible. The rabbis are telling that to their own people, to all of Judah. Well, it's up to us to interpret the Bible. That's the concept, you know. Once the, 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 the Torah, so to speak, was in heaven, it belonged to God. It was up to him to interpret it. But once he gave it to us, that's a concept. Now it's up to us to interpret what it says, what it means. It's not, let's ask God, what does it mean? But we, of our own minds, are going to invent knowledge and understanding, and so they do it and worship their own knowledge. And all the nations of Israel are doing it, both those of the Jewish community and the other tribes of Israel that went into idolatry and blindness and ignorance, and yet retained a good measure of knowledge and understanding of God, the God of Abraham. Verse 41, So these nations fear the Lord, speaking about the Babylonians, and uh, also, yet, serve their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. That's what Ezra is writing in his time. But you see, he put, in essence, that's what God is writing, that all of his people, Israel, and all the Babylonians and the whole world were in the same boat. You see? The people of God thought, well, we're doing great because we are the people of God. And God was saying, no, 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 no. You are just like Babylon. They're all the same. And so the Babylonians in their own land, Babylon, were Babylonians. That's all they were. When they were brought into the land of God, they still continued to be Babylonians. 
But as for Abraham, God told him, you come out of your own land, your own native land, your country, your religion, everything else. Totally leave it behind your back. Totally come out of Babylon. And he did. But Israel did not. And to this very day, they are still in it in many ways. And very few of them are obedient and really fear God. And so this is where we find ourselves. That's why Israel was taken to captivity. And so we're now seeing an introduction in the story of Israel of the Samaritans. And we just read the chapter that uh, covers that very uh, thoroughly. Not only about the Samaritans, but the fact that the Samaritans were not behaving differently than the children of Israel who were now thrown out of the land. And so the religion of Babylon and uh, some of the believers of, uh, of God, like, you know, the priests that God brought back to the land. That is, you know, the king of Assyria brought back to the land, not God. Uh, to teach, you know, the people of the land of Babylon who are not in Israel uh, how to fear God. At least, you know, he gave them knowledge and understanding of the God of Israel, but he himself, being a priest of Israel, was not a pure priest. And so, we see an introduction of the mystery of iniquity, religion, which is now entrenched within the land and the people of God, and a priest of Israel, not of Judah, uh, was teaching them the ways of God. Now, the historic records tell us other things also, and I'm not going to go too much into history now, that's not the purpose, but just briefly, that Ashurim, which was a grandson of Abraham from Keturah, that is, after the death of Sarah, he married Turah, and he had many children. Josephus tells us that he had 32 children. And uh, his grandson, Ashurim, uh, uh, was sent back east uh, with all the children of Abraham, God you know, didn't want any one of them there. He just wanted uh, Abraham and then Isaac and nobody else. And so Abraham sent all of them back east, where they came from, that is, back to Babylon. And Ashurim was one of, uh, one of his sons, that is, grandson. And Josephus tells us that the land of Assyria was named after him. In other words, there was Assyria, that were in Assyria, the area of Nineveh and all around, that became an empire. And also the descendants of Ashurim, which is Ashur, the same as Assyria in Hebrew, Ashur, uh, in other words, there, were, there are two Ashurs, and many people are not aware of that. Two Assyrians. One is descendant of Abraham, and one is not. But uh, descendants of Shem, but not uh, of Al, the line of Abraham. And of this Ashurim, or Assyria, as his land was called, uh, of all things, he had descendants down the road, centuries down the road, and two children that came from a man called Enan, I believe, that... Uh, Later on, they established the, the Hittite Empire once they took over from the present uh, population that was Hamitic in race. But the Hittite Empire that came later were the white people and they were, they were the descendants of the children of uh, Ashur, Ashurim, that is the grandson of Abraham. Anyway, out of this came two children, very interesting story, called Remus and Remulus. And you know history, they were the founders of Rome. And so you see a link there. Uh, and then uh, they became the founders of Rome. And then later on, many of the Ashurim descendants migrated to present-day, of all places, present-day Austria. And so when you study the history of Austria, and you study the, the genealogy, and the chart of those who ruled over them, all the dukes of Austria, the kings, the rulers of Austria, there is an ancient manuscript that they have, and guess who is at the top of the list? That means who is the first one, the first archduke, so to speak, of, this, of the Austrian people? Most Austrian people themselves are totally ignorant of that. But the first one on the list is Abraham, Father Abraham, who was the father of Ashurim, among other, other people, who basically were the, the ancestors 
of the Austrian people. And the most ironic thing, the way things happen, uh, a man named Hitler, from an Austrian background, and some say that his mother was Jewish, was the greatest persecutor of Israel. But then what's new under the sun? Uh, God always used relatives of Abraham to smite the children of Israel. Haman was one of them, also a child of Abraham, from Amalek, who was a descendant of, uh, of uh, Edom, the son of Abraham. And so that's the story of the family of Abraham. A lot of good people, a lot of bad people, and the children of Israel themselves oftentimes were on the wrong side of the track. And yet, God never forsook them. And so this is a part of the history that we are studying here. And then also, we know about Edom, grandson of Abraham, who partly migrated to Babylon. We have historic records of that. And the ancient capital of Edom is uh, mentioned earlier. I remember, the ancient capital of Edom was Bosra, Batra in Hebrew. And, of all things, in the Persian Gulf, the port city, the oil port city of, of uh, Iraq, is also called Bosra. The reason is, the people of Edom, that traveled in that direction, basically took their language, their culture, their names with them. And when they took over the place, that's, they named uh, the place by the name of their old uh, capital, the ancient capital they had in the land of Edom. And that's an uh, oil port in the Persian Gulf, in Iraq. And who comes out of there nowadays? Saddam Hussein, another good friend, quote-unquote, of Israel. Well, that's the irony of history. Anyway, Edom is linked to Rome and to Jewish history. Uh, if you study uh, Jewish history in the days of Second Temple era, they called Rome Edom. And because there was a physical link there, it was not just a, a, a parable or analogy or whatever it may be. It was a, there was a real background there where some of the people of Edom went to uh, Iran. Out of that came Amalek, and uh, that is Amalek came earlier, but out of that came Haman, the Agagite, who was a descendant of Amalek, and also to Rome. Out of that came the persecutors of, of uh, the nation of Israel. Not only Judah, but also the community of the tribes of Israel that lived in, uh, in societies called uh, Parthia and the Scythian empires, giant empires that lived at the time of Rome and were great rivals of Rome and terrorized Rome now and then. And history is mostly oblivious to it because history was written from the point of view of Rome. They didn't want anything uh, in their history about uh, the people that were uh, great challenges to them. And so they, in essence, obliterated a lot of that information. But it's still there. Anyway, you see a link of Edom. Again, the son of Abraham. And into Rome. And then after that, historic records make it very plain uh, that the people of uh, Edom also, part of them, uh, in, the, in the people, that is through the people of the uh, Phoenicians. Phoenicia means Adom, Edom, Greek. That's what the Greek call that territory. The land of Edom. Phonic, Phoenicia. Uh, these people who took over that territory that used to be mostly Hamitic, Canaanite, and uh, they migrated, a part of them, many of them actually, later down the road into Spain. And out of that came what? The Inquisition to torment not only Judah, but also some of the tribes of Israel that lived in Europe. You see all these links there. And then, on top of that, you have the Samaritans. That's the third link. In other words, I'm showing you the mixture of Babylon within Israel that has always been there. That's why God tells us, come out of it. You don't realize how much you are involved in it. Chapter, and so the uh, third one is the Samaritans, and they are direct link of Babylon. And, ironically, uh, Babylonians were the relatives of Abraham. This is where Abraham came from. After all, all of them came uh, not too long ago uh, from Noah. So they all came from the same uh, basket, so to speak. But uh, 
all this produced a lot of uh, counterfeit in the religion of Israel. Not only in the past, but to this very day. And Ezra and Nehemiah fought this Samaritan influence. And you can read it in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, they had a lot of uh, upheavals. Where the Samaritans tried to prevent the building of the temple and the building of the nation of God. And uh, they were trying to pervert the religion. And some renegade priests got involved with the Samaritans, even intermarried with them. And Ezra had to excommunicate them, throw them out of the temple. Because they were trying to bring their influence to the point that Ezra said... We're going to do something about that. So he changed, basically he changed literally the character of the Hebrew alphabet. So the scrolls of the Torah would not be similar to those of the Samaritans. And that's how you could distinguish between the Samaritan that he thought to be a little bit, uh, yes, a lot of truth, but also perversion in it. And so he wanted to maintain the purity of the, of the, of the faith. And so he changed the characters. And the Hebrew modern language that we have today came from that time, of the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so this is what he did at the time to remain, uh, you know, to attain purity. But unfortunately, many of the people of Judah that brought, that came back from Babylon brought an awful lot of concepts out of Babylon and injected it into what became known Judaism. And they don't even realize that how much of what Judaism is all about is of Babylonian origin. In other words, mixture of error into the truth of God. You see? And God tells them too, come out of Babylon. There's too much of Babylon in your understanding, in your thinking in your doctrine, in your teachings. And to this very day, they are being affected by it. And so God is calling upon all of us to come out of Babylon, wherever Israel is. And animosity is naturally developed between these two communities, the Samaritan and the... which were the counterfeit church, in essence, members of the counterfeit church, and brought with them their counterfeit religion and mixed it with the truth of God. And, of course, the Jews also, uh, that uh, were the people of God, but also brought some of the, of the counterfeit of uh, Babylon with them and injected it into the religion of God too. And since we're reaching the end of the tap year, I shall stop at this point saying greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.